Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Team Human is a commercial-free community. You can join the team by becoming a subscriber at teamhuman.com. FM. You'll gain access to our bonus content from the archive, such as conversations with Timothy Leary, Bruce Sterling, Harvey Picard, Dana Boyd, Naomi Klein, Joanna Harcourt-Smith, and many others. You'll also gain access to the Team Human Discord channel and special events in the Team Human High Fidelity Spatial Audio Lounge, including live salons with some of our guests and friends. Join listeners like Teresa Gilbert, Britt Santosha Estep, Eric Madar, M. Crow, and Matt Adrian, and get all those benefits plus invitations to our live shows once we're back in the real world. Thanks. You're on Team Human, live interactions with human humans. This is not content, but culture, oozing, teeming with life, autonomy, and exquisite moments of intimate solidarity. It's time we value each other with a sonic embrace and get down to the gushy core of love that defines being truly human. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, comedian, composer, and contemporary Buddhist, my friend and hero, Duncan Trussell. We want to be doing this for the world, you know, not for some other thing after we die or what, whatever, you know? And that's what I love about Team Human and why I'm on Team Human. Duncan will be reincarnating with us in real time, at least twice over the next hour. Take notes. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. I'm so glad we're going to have this time together with the sweet wonderful, crazy brilliance of comedian and podcaster Duncan Trussell, whose Netflix show, Midnight Gospel, combines the wisdom of the Dhammapada with the animation of Rick and Morty. They are deep, interdimensional trips into the most profound questions of human existence, guided by the sweetest protagonist in modern media. 
But first, some original music by Duncan Trussell himself, the Pandemic Fear soundtrack, to be played while you or the people around you are talking about the pandemic. to see you live like oh, oh yeah. but it's sweet i mean I, yeah. I know what you look like and all but it's weird it's just weird i always there's something so intimate about just sound you know yes. especially you know listen to the podcast at night and all or when we talked on your show we did just it was before zencaster had this little video picture yes. we're not recording video this is just we're just seeing video yeah for, but but it's like it's le- a little bit less like I don't know, with you, unlike most of these folks or any of them, I just want to kind of hug you with my thoughts and uh, words. You, you know yeah. what I mean? And and be hugged back. And there's something so intimate about – it reminds me – I remember Tim Leary used to talk about you know uh, intelligence being the ultimate aphrodisiac. Yeah. And I didn't know what he meant except like, oh, if I act really smart, girls are going to want to have sex with me. But yeah. that's not what he meant at all. He no. meant that this – there's this other level of intimacy that you can get with, with thought. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. You could, it, it's incredibly romantic to have a wonderful conversation with somebody and it transcends gender, body, everything. Because when you enter into that conversation, it's, it's true novelty. I mean, you're, you're the universe exchanging data with itself and trying to evolve a little bit. It's beautiful. It's progenitive. It's powerful. I, I know what Leary was talking about. Yeah. It's the best yeah and then it gets so it's so intimate and ultimately affirming right because if the other person can be all the way inside your head and seeing your thoughts the way you do and then not just run away screaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that sucks when that happens <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise yeah it's nice it's nice that way and that's what your whole your whole show has that thing going you know your your show and the tv thing too they that that I mean, how intimate is it to be chopped up into little pieces with someone and, and reincarnate with them, right? Yeah. yeah. I love it. I mean, that to me is the, yeah, that that is one of the many wild things. You just never know what's going to happen when you have, when you, when you publish anything, you never know what's going to happen. Once you publish it, whether it's a podcast, a book, yeah. uh, a, a scientific paper, it, it it takes on a life of its own and goes running off into the void and sometimes has babies and sometimes the babies come back and eat you. Maybe you know that does happen to people. They do. They yeah. do. It's funny. You're new because I just we just reconnected because I did that that tweet about um, 
being at that conference. I was just writing about this conference I was at years ago called like Alliance for the New Humanity, Whoa. where they were going to try to you know rebirth civilization with venture capital or something. Wow. And they had Al Gore there doing his Inconvenient Truth speech, and they had uh, Deepak Chopra there. And that's the one where I saw all these bodyguards coming, and I figured, oh, it's going to be Al Gore. And then it's like Deepak Chopra Whoa. there. I'm thinking, what the heck does he need? to be protected from what's going on there i've been thinking about it ever since you tweeted it because i at first i i think everybody was like holy shit deepak chopra and bodyguards that that doesn't happen <laughs> and you know but it but since then I, I i've been thinking about it a lot i've been thinking about just the logistics the like is the chopra corporation you know, the, or the Chopra business manager writing the checks to the bodyguards. Mm -hmm. I've just been thinking about all the weird transactional stuff that has to happen between Chopra and his like little army or whatever you, you want to yeah. call it. And then, of course, I've been thinking like the same thing you're, you just brought up, which is well, who'd you piss off? Right. What's going on here? That's the thing. I'm thinking it's like Modi and some Indian mafia or something's yeah. after him for something back at the motherland, you yeah. know, that he did. So. But I think it's honestly, I think it's just money. You know, when you've got 50 or 100 or $150 million and you're going to go to, you know, Puerto Rico in front of, you know, 500 fans, yeah. that you, you bring your, your, you know, a, a security detail with you. But but it was, I brought it up because it was at that conference when um, I got to meet Al Gore. And um, he knew me as the guy who had wrote uh, Media Virus, wow. this one of my first books. And I was like, oh man. Cool. And I was so glad that he knew it. And then he looks at me and he goes, well, that one kind of got away from you, didn't it? Wow. <laughs> but it was that. It was the idea that Anything you launch out there, you don't know. I didn't mean viral, this kind of viral media when I was writing Media Virus. It was right. <laughs> something much more benevolent. Yeah, sure. But well, anything you, you, goes. What do you think? You, this is, I've been thinking a little bit about the, one of the symbols that goes along with like the occult is the finger over the lips, like shh. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about it a little bit in, you know, considering, you know, especially because now right now society's grappling with a lot of free speech issues, the problem of consequence when it comes to saying this thing or that thing, whether it's like some like obvious, horrible, stupid, racist thing and some dummy is like, what? I yeah. can't say that. I know you can't say that. Or whether it's someone leaking like hardcore information that causes serious disruptions in society and how there's this like not there's a naive like aspect to it which is like we want to believe that you could say anything into the world and that mostly it's going to be okay we do and, and and i think some people are legitimately shocked right. when they realize oh my god that's that's causing seismic cultural shifts that have some destruction going along with it. I don't know. And I, I've just been yeah. thinking about I'm, it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I started thinking about that when I started to, uh, to teach and you know, I teach at city university of New York and I'd see the papers that kids write and it's just, I'm sure they don't read them. They just basically, it's like, okay, now I'm writing a paper. Oh, <laughs> done. You know, just whatever they're going to express in that moment. It's yeah. just, but it's partly because of all the media they're using. Like, every, I got to keep tweeting and Instagramming that everything I'm thinking or doing or saying or seeing needs to be 
said. Yeah. And if I'm not going to, wait a minute, why was your camera off for 30 seconds? Yeah, right. <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah. But it's not that the public can't be like trusted, but but at a certain point, discretion is it it's a container. It's it's what we have. How can you have how do you have sacred space without some sacred circle around yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Magic, right? You always, before you do magic, you know, you do your thing to the different winds or whatever your practice is, but there's a, there's a divide and then it is, it is secret. It's not, I, a friend of mine saw, uh, before he died, saw David Bowie walking with um, uh, Iman, like into sax or something. Wow. And she's like, her jaw drops and she sees him and he just goes, he just puts his fingers yeah. over his lips for a second and walks in and it's just everything right you saw me i saw you but let's just keep this between us uh, i had this I, so i was at this <clears throat> my wife after i proposed to my wife we went to this spa that i used to go to in um hot springs north of la and uh, we were blasted. I don't. We were on so many psychedelics, and we're sitting. And they had these. It used to be the best place to take psychedelics. We're sitting in this like wonderful hot spring, and I'd heard Neil Young comes to this place, and so I look over and I'm. I look at my wife and I'm like, "That is Neil Young," and she, and but we're high, so we're like, "You just want that to be Neil Young," and then we're looking like, "No, that's got to be Neil. I think that's Neil Young," and then so he. Uh, he walks over to us. He looks at my hat, which at the had had "I love Jesus" on it, and said, "Was is that a fireman's hat?" And I was like, "Well, kind of." And then he got a big smile on his face because I think he saw we were blasted and thought it was funny. And then I said, "What's your name?" And he gave me like a fake name, but with this twinkle in his eye. And I was like, "Ah, oh, that's so cool. Why would you shouldn't tell anyone who you right. are? You won't be able to enjoy the spa. <laughs> Everyone's going to want to talk to you about how much you mean to them." So yeah, I um. I do think there's something to be said for that that kind of decorum. You know, it's it's a uh, something we're losing, or we we think there's something blasphemous about withholding data that it always means you're nefarious or something. You know, right. and, and it doesn't always mean that. A lot of the times it does, but you know, a, a lot of times you're trying to hoard power. You're one of those people who thinks if I keep this to myself, then I'll have some advantage. But sometimes it really is a, almost a compassionate thing sometimes right or is that complete do you think that's completely no, wrong i think it can be either compassionate for them or for yourself too mm. you know it's like as a as as a, a celebrity i mean you must get worse email or more email than i do mm. you know and i can't deal with what i get and i feel so guilty if someone's like oh i read your book and here's the 10 most important ideas I pulled from it and my 30 questions. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, what do I do here? And I yeah. feel so bad that they've, I mean, the kids who write in and say, oh, I was assigned your book for school. Uh, can you tell me what it is, what it's about? <laughs> it's yeah. like, no. No. But, <laughs> do it. your own work. What are you doing? <laughs> But but people, I mean, what do you do with the incoming? Do you just not answer stuff or make them make them join the join the club and and sit with you in in Discord or what? There's no time. I mean, I, there's just no time because I've got kids. I'm doing a podcast. I'm trying to write a book. There's no time, and I feel the same way. So what I try to do is discern 
who's really some some because people will reach out to me who are suicidal or who are, you know, clearly in mid manic episode or who are kids who are saying things like my parents don't know I'm addicted to drugs, Mm. like things like that. And I try to, I try to answer them in a way that will encourage them to like get help Help. from someone in their (laughs) close circumference. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't have time to write back to everybody. And I do, I got an email from someone recently, a kid. This is a new thing for me, getting the kids writing papers email. It was a kid saying, I'm writing a paper on the midnight gospel. I have some questions for you. What was the budget of your show? How like real weird technical production questions, which I didn't even know the answer. <laughs> and I just found myself suddenly like late at night typing, responding to him. And I got halfway through, I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I? <laughs> I do it too, though. This isn't my job. You got to figure this out. But yeah, I think it's a, it's it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting problem because if you have any shred of narcissism in you, which I do, the other problem is you will try to answer them as though you know how to answer. That's right. something I have to catch myself doing because you can really damage somebody by pretending you know the the, the right thing to right. say. As if as if if someone asks me the question, I then assume, well, that's because I have the answer, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. so tell me, did God yeah. did God come before matter? It's like, oh well. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to answer it. Uh, but the diff- I think the problem is they may not realize that as you're answering it, you're kind of like, well, I, I, I'll take a swing at this thing, but I don't know. They might be thinking like, holy shit, this is the answer. That's not your fault, though, is it? I mean, if they decide to believe no. you. No. But the thing is, you wh- what you – I could talk freely. Um, you convey – to me anyway, you convey like genius. Thank you. Right. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and cause I'll sit and I'll listen and I'll go, cause you, everything will go uh, on the show or on your, when you speak, everything goes meta. There's so many pieces that fit that I'm like, Oh, the mind that unfolded that, 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 construction is doing something bigger than my mind can even really think right now. I'm just going to have to swim around Hmm. inside this construct that came out of you in real time. And what, then what I wonder about is, is this, is this coming as this natural expression and realization of just who you are? Or are you like, Reading and studying, and in some ways performing a, a, an act, not an act, but like a, 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 an intellectual exercise. Yeah. Well, but I mean, first of all, let me just say that means everything to me. I was fan a fan of yours before we ever started talking. In fact, when you uh-huh. reached out to me, and I realized that that you were one of the people who had somehow like tuned in. I, it blew my mind because you are you are a genius and 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 so and you've done a you're so prolific and you've put so much great stuff in the world so thank you to answer your question I think uh yeah what I've if I I'm realizing now it's it really is kind of my job to <laughs> always be researching stuff mm-hmm. and to trust that whatever it is that I'm deciding is interesting at that moment, even if I don't know why I'm looking at it there, I like to at least allow myself the fantasy 
that there's some bigger plan happening in my subconscious. It's like, okay, look at that. And then look at that. And then probably what's happening is just, I have this, like, you know, I do love, I love getting new information and I love reading brilliant things. Like I love, cause you know, just that, what we were talking about in the beginning, it's not just like the mind m- meld happens via podcast. I mean, if you're reading one of your books, if you're reading a great book, you're merging minds with someone. Right. And that is a, a, a balm. And a, like, it's like, you know, getting a, some kind of combination massage and, and resurrection or something, yep. you know, cause you, and yeah. contact. There's a moment that happened. Like for me, the first time it really happened was reading a, a Samuel Beckett novel. Mm. And there was this moment where the guy's like, taking apart a cookie and he like he's trying to figure out which half of the cookie is bigger to eat and he like passes out from hunger before he can do it and and I felt like (laughs) while he was right I felt like he was talking to me like he knew me like he was alive right there I know what you mean that can really happen in literature or or uh, one of these like James Joyce passages that makes yeah. no sense, but then it suddenly, or yeah. Crowley can do that too, where it's like, oh, I get why they were so into this guy. Yes. He actually, yes. oh, he's here. He just yeah. manifests. Oh shit, that's it. That's it. It's it's it it it. God, I'm reading this great book now about time travel by this guy. Have you heard of this guy? Gleek, I think is his name. I James Glick. Yeah, Glick. Yeah, yeah. James Glick. Yeah, because there's on. Stanford, you could just, there's an entire um, semester of uh, evolutionary or social biology, I think is what it's called. It's an amazing Mm. lecture professor, and he mentioned another book by this guy. And so, you know, in the spirit of this weird idea I have that like, all right, go look at that. And then that led me to this book on time travel, which is something I'm researching right now, just because I'm really interested in the multiverse. But uh, that's, that's what I've been, uh, diving into right now. And it is just, especially if you've been binging on social media, that's one of yeah. my addictions. And then suddenly somehow you manage to get off the juice and you start reading something like that. Uh-huh. And you just, your whole, it's like, you know, it's like putting a plant in the sun that needs sunlight or something, you know, you just fill up with that data set. And then suddenly my, I, I I become a little more articulate. I become a little less depressed. Yeah. I become a little happier. And then, in, in, and if I'm in that state of mind, then I can do the stuff that you're talking about uh, on my podcast, where I can right. actually try to unfold it to myself via the now because I have this like pressure of having to do the podcast and having to do some opening and and wanting it to be interesting and not wanting to be one of these people who are just doing the thing where we're all getting the social media uh, effect, which is like the mother bird vomiting into the Mm. baby bird's mouth, were all the baby bird, the vomit is this like regurgitated warp data set that's coming from God knows where. And then we're vomiting it back out into our social media, essentially creating a a feedback loop of of vomit, exponentially fouled data shit that we're all eating again and again in some like dark hellish never-ending vortex of like increasing confusion so yes it's like when you when you actually read something anything that's more than a tweet or an instagram if it's really good for you it's sad yeah. It's sad, isn't it, that I that that is actually an, uh, something that I think might be a unique experience for people right now. Yeah, we're all well, it's also, you get away from the 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 meanness 
You know, oh, yeah. there's such a meanness on online. It, 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 I've gotten to the point, and this is a very Duncan Trussell uh, uh, inspired uh, uh, logic as well. That that it, your your kindness, your your show is about your show, both your show, it's about your comportment. It's mm. that, and that little character too. It's his comportment. It's his, it's not what he says. It's, it's, now I, it's what made me realize none of the content matters. None of what I say, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is what's my actual moment to moment comportment and interaction with other people. Yeah. And if I can convey a, 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 a positive, open, loving way of, engaging with other people that's all you need yeah. you know yeah it's a I, 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 this is one of those infuriatingly simple things uh i that you he, that comes up in buddhism i did i tell you I, i'm sorry if i've told you the story of when i i went to see the dalai lama in anaheim <laughs> did i ever tell you the story oh, no. oh my god okay great i'll make it quick we hear the dalai lama's in anaheim we had just been at my girlfriend and I, we've been at, I think, Disneyland. We spent the night. The next day, the Dalai Lama is going to be there. So we're like, what are we going to do? Miss hearing the Dalai Lama speak? And so we go to the Dalai Lama. It's his birthday. And it's amazing because in front of the place, there are all these like like Chinese activists who hate the Dalai Lama, the Chinese Communist Party, yeah. sends them to stalk the Dalai Lama. All these signs about horrible, like, you know something's wrong if you're, you're if your activism is like fighting against the, <laughs> the Dalai Lama. That's the thing you're going to pick in the world to push back against. But uh, so we go into this place on mushrooms and, you know, we're just ready for the Dalai Lama to just, you know, get do the thing the thing and yeah so as it turns out this is an event that has been put on by i don't know who put it on the dalai lama has shown up for this thing but what they've done is they've gotten all these celebrities to wish the dalai lama a happy birthday and so it's the most bizarre thing you've ever seen i can't remember the name of the actor if i could remember i wouldn't say because i i don't want to like diss anybody what's the point it was some actor who's who, the dalai lama is the dalai fucking llama that one of the incarnations of the avalokita shavara buddha of compassion who is radiating energy you do feel it it's like waves of compassion yeah. rolling out into the audience there's this actor from a show that was fairly successful and he's up there and the dalai lama's there he's, you're supposed to i think the idea is you go up there you say happy birthday dalai lama and then you get off stage uh -huh. He's up there and he's talking about these awards that oh, he's God. he's literally talking about awards he's won. And the Dalai Lama is just, you know, radiating compassion, mm -hmm. clearly has no idea who it's not like the Dalai Lama is sitting. I don't think he's like watching old like 90s sitcoms. <laughs> he's not sure who this guy is, but still doing the radiating compassion. At some point, someone in the audience screams out, let the Dalai Lama <laughs> <laughs> absolute, absolute rage <laughs> and so and so finally the dalai lama gets it gets to talk and what he says is the most infuriatingly simple thing which i've all which i carry with me to this day which is you can always be kinder and oh Ugh. fuck something and there's something they say that like when people like the Dalai Lama say things that you could just write on the back of a cereal box, somehow it carries in it 
the inner this energy that you know it's like an envelope that carries in it the comportment or what that you're talking about this this something's in there more than the sentence but you know that's kind of simplicity that's what we need i think yeah. simple simple things to lean into like that you know you could always be kinder and it's like he perfectly timed out saying that knowing everyone in the audience just wanted to rip this fucking guy's head <laughs> off. We're, they, we're all experiencing this weird simultaneous desire to be taught to be loving by the Dalai Lama and a murderous desire to decapitate this, <laughs> this asshole. Um, I think I saw him on that tour. It was like late 90s. And he did that... I don't know. He did a thing. I saw he came to Central Park and I'm, you know, there with a zillion people and Bob Thurman or somebody does yeah. this introduction for him. And, you know, Dalai Lama is sitting there going, oh, you, people are funny. We're on this blue marble, We're to, you know, and all that. And I'm probably high or something, but some assholic part of me emerged and start thinking, did he really remember all his reincarnations yeah. or does he just have to say he does? Because then the whole friggin' ship, will, you know, the whole building comes down. If he goes, well, actually yeah. I don't remember any of it. And in either case, you could still be the, the trip of the Dalai Lama would work either way. Yes. Either you're accepting the whole, the whole untruth of it and bearing that burden your whole life out of compassion, or you really do remember it. And, oh yeah. my God. You know, do you think he really knows or that just doesn't really matter? I think it's fun to look at both the cynical analysis and the mythical analysis and just enjoy both of them. I mean, the cynical analysis <laughs> is that, well, you've got this system in place where, um, you know, children are who are displaying this or that are taken from their parents. The parents, not taken, they're, they're, they're given, but they're part of a lineage within which that's built in. It's essentially like your kid getting a scholarship to Harvard or something, but at the age of three or four yeah. or something like that. And so your, your beautiful child gets taken to a palace where they are entered into this incredibly rigorous mind training that is ancient and powerful and beautiful. And they're told who they are and what, I mean, you know, like, and again, this is my cynical take. I don't, believe this cynical part i do believe the mythical part but i think god you you got to look at the cynical part if you're gonna if you're gonna entertain the mythical part start with the cynical part or you're just a fool like what are you yeah. doing you're just not gonna even look you don't want to look in that down you <laughs> don't, don't look at that box and that's what i love about buddhism and the dalai lama is they invite you to look in the box like they right. they want you to look and and because they they say analyze every bit of this because that's all that matters, you know. So, you know, the my two and a half year old loves a cartoon. The cartoon's called I don't I think it's called Buster. And sometimes, and it's about this bus. It's really kind of an like of all the cartoon characters I've become familiar with, or non cartoon characters like Blippy. Buster is like the most unremarkable. <laughs> lazy character it doesn't do anything it's just it barely smiles it's just a bus it rides around some weird chanting singing like buster found a friend today they will ride together today riding with a friend buster and the friend and buster will smile that's it but sometimes forrest will say i'm buster and you know what i mean and i'll be like okay yeah let's you're buster but it, he does but because buster isn't really anything. Forrest just stays himself and acts like, you know, but, but decides he's Buster. Anyway, what I'm saying is from the cynical take, the Dalai Lama as a child 
is given a series of stories and 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 you know like it's not movies but stories about who he is or what even his identity and what you are and this and that and there must be a series of rewards built in the more you you sort of become like this thing than that thing i mean it wouldn't be that hard right i mean if honestly if someone came to me now and was like hey Here's the news. You're the Avalokita Shavara Buddha. This is who you were in a past life. I, you know, I might be like, well, you know, I kind of started <laughs> to remember some stuff. And then I'd wonder <laughs> if it was true or not. And, and so that's my cynical take. The um, Right. You'll get psychosomatic bodhisattvahood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but I think the, 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 Dalai, the beautiful thing about what the Dalai Lama says or what I've heard him directly say is, I can tell you where the subway is, but you have to go to the subway and you have to get on the subway. It does so. It, so if I'm the Avalokiteshvara Buddha of compassion, who has its roots in hyperdimensional, infinite or semi-infinite beings of compassion that are all flowing through me like some kind of mystical faucet, or if I'm just some guy. Does it matter it, if you're asking for directions to the subway? You know what I mean? They're going to be the same directions. Oh, well, where it matters is, and again, this is the cynical American Cutty Barnum view, where it matters is if he really did this, then it means there's life after death and oh. that we're supporting one person. Basically, our civilization is here to help one person at least remember what they've done before and stand as evidence of the, our, our eternal nature. You know what? I got to argue. Let's argue about this a little bit. Let's have fun with this idea yeah. because I, this could be my, there are many different varieties of Buddhism. I'm sure you know that some of the forms of Buddhism can almost seem like nihilistic in the sense that they really do. They not only do they sort of at the very least, uh, table the concept of life after death but they table they 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 invite you to ask if you have an identity at all and so mm. the the problem in buddhism i don't as i've come to understand it isn't predicated by there being life after death or not life after death but more of a, a an imminent pro condition a kind of ignorance related to what you are right now and that ignorance is producing all kinds of suffering and that suffering dukkha is um is the root of a lot of problems in the world so you know i saw someone ask the dalai lama about if are there entities or angels and he answered fairly confidently yo yeah yeah there are <laughs> there are but they face the same problems that humans do, specifically old age, disease, and death. It doesn't uh, matter. It doesn't matter if your lifespan is so infinite that we would consider you to be immortal. It doesn't matter if it's fleeting in a, a blink of an eye. You're still thwarted by these fundamental difficulties that happen when consciousness and matter interact. And so the the should you have infinite life and you know when when it you breathe your last breath from this body you 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 experience the bardo state and 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 your consciousness and you're confused but you realize holy fuck it doesn't end now what 
still the same difficulty, still the same problem. Right. And, and so that, that is the, that's the, the, I, that's how I've come yeah. to understand I, Buddhism. The mythological component of it, I think is more of a, um, uh, a, a kind of symbolic methodology or something that's designed to help the self-imposed uh, system that Buddhism invites you to take part in. Could I'll be tell wrong. you though, you know, not to, not to, uh, oh, whatever, but but to do it anyway. The the last episode of the first season of uh, Midnight Gospel with your mom. Yeah. The part that made me cry was not the part where she dies but i can't i'm actually gonna cry here i'll cry with you this is crazy was when you go through when you hold her as a baby yeah when your mother grows up with you yeah and it made me think that it made me hope that we get do get to be with each other, and that the conversation is continuous. It, it's not even a discontinuous conversation. We yeah. just keep. We're going to keep having it. Ah, yeah, isn't that beautiful? See, this is what I have been taught by the Ramdas people, and it is that you know this Krishna Das. He sings like Hari Krishna. He's like a beautiful kirtan singer. Really interesting, beautiful, powerful yeah. person. But he's taught me so much, and the way he. But he doesn't teach. We've had th- maybe he's come on the podcast. We've had a few conversations, but he'll always just say the most simple thing to me that I'll take with me. Much like you can always be kinder. And I remember once he came and because he, he was recognizing how tortured I, I was by this very thing that you're you're uh, that you're talking about. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, "The longing is the grace." And oh fuck! It's like the that thing, that thing inside of you that wants to continue this kind of love affair with your fellow humans and the world, and that this thing that is it. That's it. That's the soul. That's mm. it. That's it. It is no. That's all we got. That longing is is if because when I've looked at when I'm missing my my mother or when I'm with my son and I'm realizing oh my god you're gonna watch me die and and or or mm. or, or be broken hearted by or, or when we're oh, he's holding my hand and we're like it was one of the more profound spiritual experiences I yeah. ever had was he's just holding my hand and we're walking up this hill and I had this realization like holy fuck I'm at the second half of my lifespan. This little beautiful creature is escorting me into the great beyond. Mm. This is how they come to you. They don't come like radiant angels to carry right. you away. They come like these hilarious, obstinate, like like tiny little <laughs> creatures to carry you into eternity. And it's perfect. It's perfect. I look at that and I just think this is as perfect as perfect can be. And and heartbreaking. And that heartbreak is divine heartbreak and my ramdas friends they always tell me this they when i'm i'll get so frustrated i'll legitimately (laughs) i'll feel legitimately (laughs) depraved because it's like i never met neem Kroli baba like where's my great guru experience Mm. when do i get to fall at the feet of the magnetic being that reads my mind where when do i get this i'll be so and i'll get mad Uh. weirdly mad and i'll tell this to ragu or one of them these people and they'll say 
that's the grace. He, I literally was bitching at Raghu about it the other, like a few days ago. And he said, you know, you could be thinking about your deodorant right now, yeah. but this is what you're thinking about. And that's where your mind is going. Your mind, right. and your mind is going towards love, towards connection, towards compassion. And that's beautiful considering that right now, definitely there's someone who's probably like overwrought because they like lost their Rolex. Like they well, want exactly. They, they installed the wrong shade <laughs> tile in the third bathroom, and they're having a conniption wait, over it. Do you wait? Hold on, that's me. <laughs> we just had sh- a shitty tile install. I can't believe. I'm swear to God, I can't believe you said that. That's the telepathic moment. You're my telepathic guru. You just exposed me. We just had a chef sitting here talking about. Oh, I'm upset over my good. Seriously, like the last night, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, I guess we're gonna have to like what, fu- like get good. Go- small claims court because this asshole <laughs> destroyed our bathroom but that's so funny that you mentioned the time i'm just telling you you don't realize what you did i can't wait to tell my wife about this uh, it's because i summoned crowley when we were talking before yeah. he's playing around oh my gosh you know with with a lot what, what i've been thinking about with a lot of this is whether these whether our teachers you know are from the Dalai Lama to Ramdas, who did your friggin' wedding. I mean, if you're yeah. upset about not having a guru in your life, Ramdas did your wedding. It's <laughs> yeah. like, Fuck what off. do you? How do you top that? What do you? you know? What do you want? Yeah. What do you want? Thank you, you. you want? You know, Rajneesh didn't do a handstand on my pillow <laughs> last night. You know, <laughs> sorry, Chogum Trump is gone, right? Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm wondering, do, do you think, I mean, with it's almost more pertinent with someone like Crowley. Yeah. Like these guys go out yeah. and see all this shit, right? Yeah. And sometimes it sounds like John Lilly taking ketamine and going to those level number 39. You know, yeah. is where the purple beings yeah. exist. <laughs> you know, there's all these, do you think that they are exploring common architecture or do you think that they're building a virtual world and then we all go Mm. there because they've kind of made it before i mean i think i did some combination of the two that in some ways they see something that's like a shape and then like terrence will say oh that's a machine elf yeah and now we all call them machine elves but and they're there but they're not elves they're you know particle schism Davas. (laughs) Davas. <laughs> well, I mean, we all know they're particle schism Davas. I mean, that's where McKenna really like took the wrong turn. Uh, but you know, it's 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 it makes sense because they you know particle schism Davas. They do kind of look like machine elves. They you know? do awful. You could easily mistake them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that they're just like they're they're going? I mean, Crowley's sort of the one who would just go and then. Like almost like he was exploring Mount Everest. He said, "Okay, yeah. first you're going to go to the left, and then you're going to see this yep. monster. But you got to get by that in order yep. to then give your devotion to this god before you can get to this other state." Yeah, yeah. You know, because uh, you do magic too. I mean, you're a, a Buddhist magician. Well, yeah, I, I do. I, 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 and when I was younger, I was a little more experimental with with that sort of thing, and I, I. Uh, 
I know I have friends who are pra- like are practicing like practicing ceremonial magic and and uh yeah and and the form of magic the, the form of Buddhism that you know my teacher David Nickturn who is Jogim Trumper Rinpoche's student teaches it has a magical element to it it, it has its roots in uh, Shban, a form of sh- uh, shamanism um and so there is a visualization component and a uh what you would probably call magic in it uh but and and i have experienced entities having taken many psychedelics and i have experienced like uh in ghostbusters what do they call like they have the funniest name for one of the like a freeform floating apparition i think is what they call uh-huh. it it's like a or something like that or you know i've i've, I've had the experience of of, of seeing a, a stable vision where you look away and then look back and it's still there versus like with LSD, it seems to be some kind of projection or something. And, but with like sometimes with mushrooms or with DMT or with ketamine, uh, I've, I've had shared visions with Mm. people where we we've come out, we've been silent and then we come out and we start describing these places we've been, um, having not uttered a word during the trip other than, Oh Mm. oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, so what's, what does it imply? You know, I, I, I think like this is a version of the internal external conversation. Are we sharing a mind? And within that mind, these similar things arise that we call reality, is there an, is there is there something outside of us hyperdimensions where these entities exist? Uh, are they, and if so, then can they be quantified? Can they be weighed and measured? And we just don't have the ability to do that yet. Um, I, I you know I think it's one right, currently uh, one of the great questions, and I, I God I would I would do anything to be able to answer it in the affirmative. Mm. You know how wonderful it, it's, it, it would be so wonderful and exciting uh, to, to know for sure. Like, Oh yes, we are, <laughs> but one level of reality existing on all these alternate levels of reality or various expressions of sentience that aren't necessarily embodied in the same stuff humans are embodied in or, and, and don't need it. And, and, uh, but, this is because I'm obsessed with the current UFO uh, stuff that's happening. But then I had this really cynical moment when I realized like, if they reveal over the next month that indeed there are aliens and they've got alien craft wreckage and we're being invited into the galactic, this or that, I'm going to be so bored of that. Like in a few months and to make matters worse, (laughs) I'm not going to have the mystery anymore. You'll just right. know, like, ah, oh, fuck. There's already aliens. Now we know. Now I don't get to wonder if there's aliens. Now it's like, yeah, there's aliens. There's aliens, and some of them are great, and some of them suck, and they don't really like humans, but, you know, it's part of the thing they do. It's like they they contact planets, and, you know, and then there's going to be just the same thing will happen. Yeah. Aliens will become kind of human, and, and, and then it will normalize, and then what? Yeah, I was thinking we don't get to see aliens until we have a shared consciousness, that the other beings are meta beings. So until humanity sort of becomes Gaia consciousness, we can't look over our collective shoulder and see another one, you know, but that there's all these other ones out there. Yeah. 
And yeah. they're just waiting for us to like wake up. I love Grant Morrison's yeah. crazy drug. You know the one I'm talking about? The rant mm. he did? It's on YouTube and he has some explanation of us as being some kind of hyperdimensional larva like we're <laughs> being grown inside of time and space right yeah. now and that's what we call our lives i i, I love it. it his whole chaos magic his take on things uh the way he describes how magic works sigil magic specifically yeah. in his art is, is his sigils i just think it's incredibly beautiful and pragmatic and um uh and and, and really quite powerful if if you're interested in in playing around with like magic i mean do you do magic do you practice magic yeah, sure? some but not so much i'm moving more towards uh uh, uh more of a kind of an acceptance i always feel like magic gets really at least the magic I've been exposed to gets so connected to the one's will and what you yeah. want to see happen and all that. And it's like, I feel like I'm already making kind of too much happen. I'm trying to <laughs> get, <laughs> yeah. my, get my heads off the steering wheel. Can I just I, say something yeah. very quickly? That is what everybody I know who has gotten into magic says. They tried it. They realize to some degree it's effective. And then they're like, I don't want. I don't think I want to do that. Like, I don't want, I don't want that for some reason. We don't want it, it the way we thought we wanted it when we got into the thing. So continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's almost, it's will unbuffered by everything else, you know, un, un, you know, and, and it's not that I don't trust myself. It's just, it's weird. And it's also, I mean, it gets to the question and, and I don't know, I don't know what you think, whether we are, are we going somewhere? Is there like an eschatology to mm. our existence? It's like, you know, I used to, when I was a kid, I really liked a, a Deschardins, oh, this yeah. idea, you know, we're evolving towards this big thing. I, loved I love it, but you, man. The Omega <laughs> point. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but then as I get older, I start thinking, you know, that's pretty white Western, climactic, Aristotelian, mm. you know, that, oh, we're going to go meta on ourselves. Yeah. And then what? Then we go meta again, I guess. And again, it's, it's a kind of that Christian singularity Gaia. Yeah you know, a uh, crisis climax yeah. conclude that all of us white guys podcasting, you know, <laughs> we're into about. it. We're yeah. into it. And, 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 you know, um, I think God, you know what? To, Cause I knew we were going to be talking. I pulled down some Kurzweil. I pulled down uh -huh. the singularity is near and I, 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 I start flipping through it, trying to reacquaint myself with some of his ideas. Cause I loved your, Deconstruction of singular sing, singularitarians. Singularitarians. <laughs> I mean, it's very hard to say, but and that's why as we get closer to the singularity, it'll become easier to pronounce. But the <laughs> the the uh, <laughs> the but but I was really kind of awed and creeped out by how a lot of his predictions are most definitely happening and one of the spe specifically the mrna stuff that's happening right now he you know he has these epochs of evolutionary time and and, and one of those epochs is nanobots uh dna gene manipulation i can't remember the third part but but this you know this book was written long before covid long before suddenly we're all you know becoming test subjects of this incredible technology and 
to see that as being one of the landmarks to look for as we get closer to this event was pretty eerie. It is. You know, I did this uh, uh, when I met him was when I was doing this uh, CNN special about the future. And it was like him and me and like Margaret Cho. And it's like a bunch (laughs) of weird people. But, you know, and and we're on this panel. And that was where he, he... told me, you know, to, to stop being, you know, he says, you know, when I was trying to defend humanity from the machines, he was saying, oh, you're only saying that because you're human. You know, that's when I, <laughs> that's when I was like, oh, fuck you. Fine. I'm on team human there. But before that, the, the intimidating thing about him was the first question they asked us in this panel was like, what thoughts did you have as a kid about the future that haven't come true? You know, and I talk about jetpacks and stuff and all these different things. And then it gets to Ray Kurzweil and he said, well, pretty much everything I've ever predicted has turned out to be true. All right. All <laughs> and, right. and I'm like, fuck you. But you read his books. And, and it's true. It is. He <laughs> does seem to be you don't want it to be right about the last one because I don't want to believe that human beings are just a vessel for information's inevitable evolution towards higher states of complexity. And then they leave us behind and move on to machines. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I don't I, like that. I Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And you know, it's a little scary. It's scary because, you know, as I'm revisit, for some reason, I think the last time I read it, just out of being lazy in contemplating what he was writing about, I, I imagine there's some choice in the matter. In other words, like uh, uh, there's we, we can choose the singularity. This thing that's this unfolding uh, is up to us. If like we want to put the brakes on when it comes to our, you know, advancing into whatever this thing is, we couldn't put the brakes on. But now revisiting it, it's more like he's just describing a kind of inevitable way things unfold uh, based on some evolutionary technological principles. So, and that's scary because you don't even really have a choice. It's like you've been caught in, in, in some kind of landslide yeah. or, or, or well, Kevin know. Kelly's book on it. He calls it and the, the inevitability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just- the inevitability. And, and, and so, and so, you know, I think the reason there's there's a few reasons it's creepy and scary and exciting in in one one of the reasons is because we're dealing with a kind of collective wake a, a crazy collective waking up that's literally what that's the post singularity description he gives is the universe wakes up mm. which i think is a little it's a very human thing to write it's like yeah. oh okay so you think the universe isn't awake just because it's not like sending you letters or something. <laughs> Come on, Ray. You 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 knew the fax machine was going to happen, right. but you think the universe is asleep. But um, but also I think that there's a something scary in that. In, in that, have you ever had like you've if you had a dream where you fall in love with somebody and you wake uh, up and you don't want to wake up? Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. You want to stay mm-hmm. in the dream, mm-hmm. and uh, but then you wake up and like maybe you have this strange heartbreak that lasts a few milliseconds and then yeah. you're, you're having your coffee and you forget about the whole thing is that what's ha- about to happen it's just collectively we're just about to ha- we're, we're gonna wake up and, and we're and, and suddenly that we'll look back on whatever this was in a kind of scratch our chin way and then go on with whatever is after this and and, and i think it, it, within there is a recipe for hell 
sadly. You know, you end yeah. up in this recursive, never-ending cycle of some weird waking up. Oh my God, the orgasmic sense of exploding into time and realizing their whole human existence and all of society was a right. dream. Right. Well, you end up in a Groundhog Day scenario yes. then, where you're just, oh no, you mean I'm just cycling through this? There oh. you go. There you go. And yeah. that is the exact map in Buddhism. That is the, called samsara. That is the map. The map is, it's a never-ending cycle that consists of infinite iterations of some form of confusion, then maybe a little bit of waking up, then confusion yeah. and waking up and confusion and waking up. So that the problem is not that we die. The problem is we don't die. The problem is not that there's some awesome Richard Dawkins death is the anesthesia that saves us from the pain of life situation, but there is no break. It just keeps going and right. going and but going. It only looks like that from this side, I would think. That's just a protective mechanism to keep us from, from doing it. I think once you're doing it, it's then it's like, it's so liberating because nothing that you thought matters, matters. And the only thing that matters is how soft and squishy and wonderful and lubed up you are as you mm -hmm. interact with everybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I do. I do. I mean, it's you, we're st like, I like being here and I like this place a lot. And, and, and I've had some people lovingly convey to me that that might be a problematic view. And I've had some people convey to me that that's a wonderful way to see the world. It just depends on, on the particular like mystical analysis of the situation. You get into bhakti yoga, for example, it, the yoga of love, everything is God. You're in this infinite love affair with the divine. And this is one of the most fantastic things that could ever have happened to anything is that you're in this Leela, the game of the divine where you're taking on uh, this incarnation where you, your way of seeing Krishna is these conversations and, and, and that you're having in the exploration of the world. Uh, but the next time you could just as easily have Krishna as your child and be Krishna's parent. Or the next time you could be in Goloka Vrindavan, as it's called, the eternal, the land of never returning. And mm. you could be a pebble uh, in this beautiful sort of never, never land where God plays with God's friends infinitely. And it just be pure orgasmic sentience rejoicing in the presence of the divine. And this goes on and on and on. So my bhakti yoga friends, when they're told by my Zen friends that, you know, there really isn't much of an identity, but you can keep pretending you're a self for as long as you want. If you want to keep doing this weird, like, you know, <laughs> autoerotic <laughs> fucking, you know, love affair with yourself uh, because it's a non-dual situation and you're creating duality just to hump your own leg, basically. <laughs> my bhakti yoga friends say, great. I love it. I'll, you know, I want to, I'll keep doing this. I want to keep doing it forever and ever and ever and ever because that's how beautiful love is. And, and both, I think, angles are correct. You know, it's, it's different ways this thing is expressing itself. So, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I, I think one of the real, intense intellectual problems I run into with the style of Buddhism I'm studying is it's inviting you just to really like you, you, you gotta let go. 
Yeah. Not like let go of your cigarette addiction, not let go of your, you know, anger, not let go of your this or that. Those are all great things to let go of, but you've got to let go of the dream completely. It's a dream. You just let go. You've got to, you ha- there's no other way to do it than to fully say goodbye and let go. Wake up really wake up, not wake up into a new dream, but awaken truly. And, and, and we, I don't know anything other more than, I don't know that. I just know intellectually having read it, but I don't know the, right. I don't know what that means or what it is or anything. All I know is that there's a lot of, uh, in, in some of the forms of Buddhism I study, there is a legitimate critique of existence itself. That bliss right. is suffering. Samsara and nirvana are intertwined. What? And Buddha left his wife and kids, right? Yes. It's harsh. It's a it's hard ha- one for me. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, this is the, this, uh, so I'll tell you, the cynical assessment of the thing is like, uh, so if everyone emulates the Buddha, <laughs> women are f- pregnant women you're <laughs> fucked you're fucked like it's just gonna be a bunch of single moms with a like a bunch of like you know dads out in the forest like having like midlife crises or something yeah. out there right so dude that's that but um i think where people in the west get confused about it is we think of we try to think of where i'm i was raised of an episcopalian and i've been taught what would Jesus do? Do what Jesus did. Act like Jesus. And so people think, I'm going to act like the Buddha. And that if I act like the Buddha, that means right. abandon my familial duties or responsibilities. When when really people are forgetting like to look at it from the perspective of ta- ta- the time period. Right. What, where, you know, leaving, where like having to, to be a prince... Yeah, exactly. He was like semi-royalty. It was like, it's more like Prince Charles leaving Buckingham Palace to go figure himself out, you know, in some arranged marriage and some whole you got bourgeois a kid, you horrible have a thing. Kid. You know, just, just the fact that your 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 wife is probably not going to die in childbirth because of your privilege as some prince in that time, you've managed to create life. That, In other words, it's like it's not like someone's like a, abandoning some toxic relationship with someone they got pregnant that they can't stand anymore <laughs> and they're going to Vegas. It's, you know right. what I mean? It's like someone who is leaving behind what in those in that time period would have be considered of great value. So when people were hearing the story of someone leaving their palace and their pregnant and their and their wife and their child they're not thinking you fucking scumbag they're thinking what's wrong with you you would <laughs> give that up that's everything you know that that was the assessment then now we hear it and we're like deadbeat deadbeat out in the fucking woods wow wow that's yeah. amazing is it must be really hard for you out there sitting under the tree while your wife is breastfeeding being kept up all night by this <laughs> exactly. screaming fucking kid oh really did you only eat peanuts for a year you you know what i mean your wife has a toddler who you know but i think in the like so looking at it from historically and is a good thing to understand to understand the the sentiment behind it i think now maybe i'm just trying to rationalize it or something because i'm a dad i love my family yeah. and leaving i would ra- leaving my family behind would be 
I would rather die yeah, than yeah. that. But, 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 you know. It's not compassionate, finally. But you know you know who you got to read? I mean, you probably already know all this stuff, but uh, 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 there's a, a cool Buddhist book. This guy, uh, the te- Holy the Teachings of the Vimala Kirti. Have no, you heard of this guy? No, no. Oh my God, he's brutal. He's brutal. <laughs> he's like Buddha's friend. And okay. when Buddha has a student that's just like fucked up or he gets tired of, he's like, all right, go to the Vimala Kirti. Oh go shit. There, just go. And Vimala Kirti is just like brutal. He's just like, yeah. just to cut the guy's arm, just cut his fucking arm off. That's it. <laughs> if you eat with that, if you eat stupid things, you lose your arm. Fuck it. God, wow. Come back in 30 years and talk to me again. It's just like, oh my God, this, this, you got to read this. You got to read this guy. It's, it's like biblical. It's like Moses or somebody, you know, when the, when God just comes down and says, which hundred thousand people here were the ones worshiping the golden calf. Okay. Cut off their dicks. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, right. <laughs> He's like that. It's that kind of Buddhism. And it's just, it's a, it's so refreshing on a certain level. If you get, especially as a Westerner, if you get kind of fed up with the, the seeming passivity of Buddhism, yeah. you don't do anything and you accept everything. It's like, yeah. oh, go read this guy. And <laughs> Oh my God. You know what? That to me, that is such a, a great thing to invite people to do because that's, I remember like talking to one a long time ago, one of my friends accused me of passive hipster Buddhism. And he was right at the time. Cause like I, I was, I, my, I wasn't really like looking into Buddhism. I wasn't mm. meditating. I wasn't um, contemplating. I didn't have a teacher, and so I wasn't really for. I wasn't really doing what it's inviting you to do. And so, in other words, like it's a. So you hear about it, and for some reason, what people think is it's this passive acceptance of everything, when it's just not. It's just not. It's a systematic deconstruction of everything that you think is you and everything that you think must be the way things are. And it's, and it's quite excruciating at Mm. times to, to, to realize that what it's the, the things it's saying, at least from my own subjective experience are true. When you hear, for example, first noble truth of Buddhism, life is suffering. This gets, this is a mistranslation. It actually is there is suffering. And there's such a huge difference (laughs) between life is suffering and there is suffering. One is like, you know, well, I've got a solution for you. If you think life is suffering, here's a good way to stop suffering. Fucking kill yourself, right? Because you that but when there is suffering, when we've removed the suffering from life itself, it's just a situation. Oh, here is suffering. It's not life. It's not you or that or this. There is suffering. This thing we call suffering. Wow. That's intense. And <clears throat> If you can refute that from your own analysis or experience, great. You, if, if you can look at your own life honestly and you're like, no, there isn't, this is great. I'm fine. I feel great. There isn't some never-ending dissatisfaction that seems un- uh, completely unsuitable uh, at, the, at the base layers of everything. Then great. That's the other cool thing about Buddhism. It's not saying, you're wrong. No, you're actually suffering. It's like, great. Great. There's you. You're like someone who went to a doctor. Uh, the doctor said, I, "I think you have a rash." You look you're like there's no rash. I was like, "Oh yeah, you don't have a rash. Congratulations. <laughs> Great. No problem." And then the 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 second um, the second noble truth, uh, the the, co- the cause of suffering 
is uh, att- attachment. Like you're suffering because you really that gets mistranslated too. It's really the the cause of suffering is ignorance. You know, it's like you're actively you're actively ignoring reality as it is, mm. and that oh my god, I love that because it's like, in other words, you wake up in the morning, you're in a shitty mood, you just feel bad. Maybe you're a little hungover, whatever. <laughs> And you try to put lipstick on on the fish. You try to paint it with something. You know, you're like, well, you know, it could be. This is. I was just telling my. <laughs> honestly, after this fucking tile job where this guy destroyed our beautiful bathroom and charged us a lot of money to destroy it, I'm trying to comfort my wife. And the way I, I comfort her is, I say, "Well, Aaron, at least we're not like in an airstrike." Right. <laughs> and she's like, "Duncan, the next time you're upset about something." I'm just going to tell you, at least you're not in an airstrike because like, how is right. that? You can say that about anything except right. an airstrike, you know? And if you're in an airstrike, you could come up with something else. Like, well, at least, at least not we don't on- have leprosy. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but th- that, those kinds of stupid solutions to problems, that's what I'm talking about. So you, you try to reconfigure your situation. You're like, you try to do some kind of bullshit spiritual nonsense oh well but actually this is this or that or this suffering is me paying off my karmic debt Mm. or this suffering is whatever but if you just look at right just just be the just stop fighting back against the suffering or telling a story about it or whatever i have noticed that in embodying the thing itself looking it in the eye as it's often described somehow it just doesn't have the same thing right. that, it, you know, it does, it's not the same thing. And then, you know, the last two noble truths, no one wants to talk about it because we're all so good at fucking suffering and understand suffering and understanding pain that the next two, no one wants to get into that much because the, the next two are, this can end. Like the mm. next two are about the complete ending of suffering as we know it as human beings and you'll notice that's why those last two don't really get brought up as much because it's like talking about i don't know some some like remote part of china that you've never been to like what i don't know what you're talking about there because so many people's identities are rooted completely in their pain in the suffering in the story in the way they're right whatever and so that's but that might be where the, that might be where the all is suffering thing comes from, though. That if you let go of your suffering, you may not be there anymore. Yeah, <laughs> there it. You got it. Right. That's it. And that's the waking up from the dream part. That's the part that scares me too. That's the part where once I start getting to that point of it, I start like pulling back a little bit because in that's the part where they talk about in magic. They say if you. The outskirts, I can't remember. It was some grimoire I was reading. It's really beautiful, but the the outskirts of the Godhead, that's where you that's where the angels and the demons and the spirits and all the stuff is. But and that's where magic comes from. And you hear about the writings and all this stuff. That's from people hanging out in that periphery. Yeah. But if you get too close to it, you stop existing as a person anymore and merge completely with it. And that's when you get the finger over the lips. You just stop talking about it because you've become it and there's nothing else to say. So that that I think is in yeah. Buddhism. That's what they're talking about is like keep going and 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 you will stop suffering. But people but if you're me, 
Yeah. You mean I'll stop being a human or I'll stop being a Duncan. And right. I don't want to. And you got to do that while you're alive, too. You can't wait till you're dead. You can do it when you're dead. Good news. Oh, that'd be good. Because then, oh, there's plenty of time then. <laughs> yeah, you could do it to the whole Tibetan Book of the Dead. You know, that the whole yeah. book is you read it to a, a corpse. Yeah, but I got to prepare before you. I think you're supposed to have it internalized. I think if you're just getting it that late, it'll be it'll be kind of hard. But But then... Beyond, Buddhism doesn't deal directly anyway, because I don't know if they were thinking about it this way, with like the end of humanity itself, though. I mean, and that's been bothering me a lot lately with the global warming and mm. carbon this and all that we could really just – I wonder sometimes whether we're doing transformational work on – on our audiences, or are we just delivering palliative care Ooh, at this point? That's fucked up. Oh God! What if I just disappear? What if you say that and it, I just fall on the floor and don't talk? What happened to Duncan? Oh, Rushkoff put him in a catatonic state. Oh shit! He went on TV again. I told him not to go. Don't go. Well, what you did—that's actually the thing you just did—is beautiful. It. it my teacher, my teacher talks about these different um, forms of teaching. And one of them is called wrathfulness, wrathful teaching. And he said, people misinterpret this because they think it's someone screaming at you. But he said, the, the wrathful teaching sometimes, it's just like what you did. Hmm. It's just a very sweet, like, well, what about, could you be uh, anesthetizing a lot of people with some kind of garbage? <laughs> I know you're not completely saying that, but I think it's, if you are, Palliative care is not a bad thing. It's hospice. Oh, I, you know, we might be global hospice at this point. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm 100% for the morphine when the pain gets too bad. I, it's a very sad thing if you've ever given anyone morphine mm. or, or pulled the trigger on that because they just go to sleep and that's the end. Like, they're gone. Once you give them the morphine, they're gone. They're not going to wake up. I mean, if you right. like, once the hospice is giving you the morphine, you fall asleep and you die. And it's a, it's a, and actually the Dalai Lama, I think someone was asking him about this because there's this, in the same way, like in birth, like in, in birth culture, there's this weird like thing that started popping up where you should be in a lot of pain. Like you should, like, there's something about like a, mm -hmm. a natural birth where you, you like there's something about the agony and the suffering is makes you a, like win the game of yeah. giving birth to a child. And it's, it's the same thing with death, which is like, you know, don't take the morphine go out in the most horrific fucking pain you could ever imagine. Otherwise, you didn't really die, I guess, or you didn't right. die right. Uh, but, but, but I don't mean that our work is morphine so much as the, the we're in the orchestra on the deck of the Titanic as mm. the boat's going down. And it's like, let's really play for these people, you know? Yeah. But that, is there a difference between the work we would do if we're playing for people, you know, if we're, if we're, trying to, to wake people up to the collective organism and all this great stuff, then we do a different thing than helping people die, you know? Yeah. But I guess helping people die is <laughs> all we're really doing anyway, well, whether yeah, we're dying or not. Good point. I mean, yeah, we are dealing with like a mortal with, with truly like at least uh, the human body is going to keep, keep going. Right. So there's something to be said for that, but you know, I, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, because because I've, I've thought a lot about what's the use of it anyway? Like, what's the use of um, 
any kind of like bona fide spiritual technique or practice or something like that. And um, to me, I, I think the usefulness of it is really actually not very romantic. Uh, it's something Sharon Salzberg told me. She was talking to some kid who told about mindfulness and the, the kid said to Sharon Salzberg, my mindfulness is what keeps me from punching my brother in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and Sharon thought that was really funny because it was this very basic kind of thing of like, you know, th this is a way this. Yeah. Okay, great. If you take up this form or that form, if you become a, um, get into Vaishnava Bhakti Yoga and become a pure devotee of the divine and have this realization of your relationship with God. That's amazing. But if like you just like for me, if it's like when I'm realizing, oh shit, this is the place where I become defensive with my wife and we get in a horrific fight because I don't want to deal with the reality that that's a different person than me and her sadness and her emotions, though I might think that's not why are you feeling like that don't don't you feel like that why would you feel like that i don't feel like that stupid like brutish mm -hmm. shitty thinking it, for me it's a thing where i'm like i accept you i believe you you don't feel good right now how can i help so boring so simple not much there right. it's exciting not many angels not many anything cool no arcs no golden cows no flickering tongues of fire on my forehead with like what glissalia speaking in tongues pouring out of me but holy fuck it's given me a, a a much better marriage than i had when i wasn't practicing a spiritual path and so if it works for marriage it's going to work for the apocalypse if it if the apocalypse doesn't happen, if by some miracle we find out that we're wrong or who knows what, some unknown variable appears, maybe the fucking UFOs, whatever it may be, th then it, it's, st it's still going to be important because we need to be able to have, we need a way to be kinder to each other. We need a, pro a process and that needs to be rooted in the world. There, we want to be doing this for the world, you know, not for some other thing after we die or what, whatever, right. you know? And that's what I love about Team Human uh. and why I'm on Team Human because <laughs> it's got to be for that, you know? And so I think if, it, pa you know what? Palliative care is weirdly very similar to midwife midwifery. Yeah. A lot of the hospice stuff is also what happens when someone's giving birth. A lot of the practice of being present and there for them and honoring them and honoring the preciousness of the moment of birth, it's the same when you're honoring the preciousness of this final exhalation. They right. both work for birth and death. So no matter what, whether we're doing palliative care or midwifery, I think it's a worthy endeavor. And this, right. you know, and the choices are the same. The behavior's the same. The comportment, the niceness, being the kindness, yeah, is everything. Yeah, yeah. I, that's it. It's it. That is it. That's the story. Tiknat Han talks about uh, the boat of refugees. There's pirates. People are about to freak out, but someone on the boat is staying calm, and that calmness spreads through the mm. boat. They survive. You know, and, and honestly, those musicians on the Titanic, yeah, the Titanic was going down and they definitely didn't make it 
out. <laughs> but how many people, if I was on the Titanic and I was about to freak out because the boat was going down and I looked over and the band was playing, I would think, oh, it's probably, maybe it's not as bad as I think. And maybe that would give me what I needed to find that one lifeboat yep. that's there. So How many lives they saved playing there, John Philip Sousa up there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, I think there, the, yeah, there's a, you know, no, no matter what, I, you know, this is one thing I, I, I know about you and why people love you is that you, do, I don't think you have some messianic thing that you're doing. I think you this is just who you are. This is just what you do. And there isn't some like, I'm going to save the world or I'm going to help the world die or this or that. This is just what you do. And so, and that's why people are listening to you, you know? Well, I, well that's what I was thinking about you at the opening. It was sort of as asking, did you figure this out or are you just manifesting? And I think you're just manifesting too, which is the thing, you know, and it's, it's, Actually, to actually get closer to manifesting is harder. It's rigorous. Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah. I always want to say that when I see people going for like their first, you know, yoga or Buddha class or whatever. It's like, you understand what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this is the advice. And, and so I can't remember which Yogi Trumpa book it is, but I, I'm, as I recall, in the beginning, it advises you not to do it. It's because it says once you start going through this, you can't, there's no going back. Once you really start doing it, you got to keep going. You can take breaks. You can pretend that you've fallen off the spiritual path and you're not into that stuff anymore. But you'll all, like, people will, you know, say to me sometimes, or I will say to people, they'll say, oh, I don't meditate anymore. But I will say to them, but you, you're thinking about it. Yeah. Every day you're thinking about the fact that you don't meditate. That is wild. When when you imagine how much it's like you, some part of you knows this is where the direction you want to go in. And and so, yeah, I think that that is a, a great, great, yeah. great advice for anybody out there, which is like, you got to believe it's real, even though it seems like utter bullshit even though, you know, obviously as a modern person, when you hear any of this nonsense, it, it makes so much sense that you would think there's no, all those stories Ramdas talks about, the telepathic guru and that thing and the astral projection and the visions, that can't be real. And so you get, you jump into it because of that. You think it's not real, but you're like, I'll, I'll poke around in here. And then the next thing you know, yeah. it's no different than those dum-dums you see in the video when in L.A. when there's been a big rain and they go to the L.A. River and they look at it and they're like, I'll just stick my foot in. <laughs> <laughs> they're gone. Yeah. yeah. I, know, but I always tell people when they, when they ask me, it's like, how long does acid last? It's like, the rest of your life. Yes! <laughs> I'm stealing you, it. <laughs> you, will, you never come down. You never come down. The rest of the world just sort of rises up to meet you eventually. God, it's so <laughs> true. It's so true. I God, that's so brilliant. Yeah, you never come down. You never come down. I mean, that was the... I went to Vrindavan, India, uh, when I was in college. And like, because I was... I um. I, we had to do service work for my college. And so uh, I went to this Hare Krishna temple in Vrindavan and I thought I'd gotten off the hook because this, you know, person, the head of the temple, we're sitting in this room with the head of this temple and he says, 
your service work will be chanting Hare Krishna while you are here. I'm like, okay, as long as you sign the paper, man, that's fantastic. (laughs) I don't have to like haul bricks or whatever. So, but I'm there with my friends chanting Hare Krishna. And, you know, just like anybody, you know, completely underestimating where I was or what this place was. And uh, I just had this incredible dream where like Krishna, this, this being, I don't know if it's a Deva, some beautiful thing is like, looking at me and picking up sand from the ground of Vrindavan and dropping in front of my eyes. And every grain of sand was like just this spinning, beautiful jewel. And the being with a big smile said, you'll always come back here. And it was like, oh, fuck. At the time, I thought it meant you'll always come back to India. I took it literally, but I think now when I look back on it, it, it was saying once you've tasted this possibility and there's no way out. And, and Mm. I think that's a, a a good, a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. And whether it's LSD that gave you the taste or chanting Hare Krishna with devotees in India or having a kid, you know, I, I I think that's all you need is one little piece of it, you know, one little droplet of it. And then the rest of your life is whatever this conversation is that we're having. Yeah. You know, yeah, one taste per incarnation is really more than enough, you know. Too much, maybe. I mean, yeah. you know that 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 is uh, what, what I mean. How much you all you need, if you're a scientist, like you know, all we need is one little a microscopic bit of fungi on <laughs> Mars. That's all we need. One little tiny little <laughs> thing like that. One little tiny droplet of something that's definitively alive by the human definition of things or was alive once. And from that we can extrapolate it's out there fucking everywhere. It's a safe bet to say it until we get that. We got this anomalous earth situation happening. Yeah. Yeah. But similarly, I think all you need is that one little thing. And, and also the, the problem with that too, is sometimes you get the thing and you don't even know you got it until years later when you realize that conversation you had or that story someone told you or, or that moment you had Im- impacted you in the, in the reverse of what Camus calls, what does he call it? Being undermined, you know, where mm. you hear the, the something happens yeah. and a few years later you kill yourself. The opposite <laughs> is true too. Something happens and you don't realize that over time you're actually healing because of that event. You're, you're, whether you like it or not, you're, 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 uh, transitioning out of uh, an existence as something defined by suffering and pain. Into something more. Well, it's like these Easter eggs. I remember those like Kung Fu movies where a guy like shakes your hand in some certain way. And then two weeks later, you know, you mysteriously die. You know, yes. <laughs> remember those secrets? This is the opposite one the though. The quivering palm. Yeah. <laughs> the quivering palm. The quivering fucking palm <laughs> touches you and you're like, that was nothing. Yeah. Then you keel over whatever. <laughs> the quivering palm. When I was a kid, me and my brother would do that to each other. We were really yeah. just slapping the shit out of each other's chest. Yeah. Well, I was always scared, though, if, like, if someone touched just the right part, they accidentally quivering paw you and you die anyway. Yeah. It seemed highly probable that there would have been accidental. Can, can I tell you a, a quick miracle quivering palm style, style story? Because this is what I've noticed with these Ramdas people, with Ramdas specifically, 
and stop me if I told you this before and that when we talked last, because I, I feel horrified that I repeat a story like this um, <laughs> with you. But so, yeah. So like when I met Ram Dass, um, he, uh, we were, I was in a swimming pool. Did I tell you this story? It's, it's like, I'm, I don't think so. So I'm, I, you know, my mom has died. I, I'm just fucked. And I, like, I'm fucked in the head. I'm super depressed. Mm. I'm a cancer survivor. My mom has died. I've got one ball. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm as wrecked as I've ever been in my life. Completely wrecked. Uh, like super depressed, laying in bed. Like not suicidal, but just, you know, like, I'm just like, I don't, I was going to, I remember it was, it was that situation where you're laying in bed and you just, you're so depressed. You're like, I'll just piss the, I'll just piss the bed. Just <sighs> crushed, man. And yeah. so Raghu Marcus, one of my friends who, who runs Ramdas's foundation, he called me, obviously he knew that I was fucked up and he's like talking to me, recognizing how I am. And he's like, look, you, you just need to uh, come to this, come just go buy a plane ticket, come to this retreat in Hawaii just, just, I know you just don't think about it. Just do it. And, and I know you feel terrible. Just do it. So I, I remember getting up all depressed and groggy and like feeling fucking heavy and all sappy and, and like, just like, Oh, I got the ticket. I go there to Hawaii. And this is when the retreats were tiny. There was like 50 people there or something. And like, I hated it. I hated all, I hated it. I, the whole, I didn't hate the retreat, but I was just like, Oh, this is just a bunch of old hippies and what have I done and what do they do? Because in those days I was as cynical. I was very cynical and mm. um, especially after my mom died. Anyway, they're doing some tour of Hawaii thing and uh, Raghu is like, you're not going on that tour. You're coming with me today. And so I got in his car and we're driving, getting stoned. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, I'm taking you to Ram Dass's house. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. I got, I got so freaked out and scared and just like, oh, God, I don't know. What, I, I don't know what's happening. This is crazy. We go there. He's in this swimming pool with um, the Zen Roshi, Roshi Joan Halifax. And like, it's a Zen Roshi who's carrying him around the pool. <laughs> and they're, they're laughing like kids. And it's this beautiful... Like it's just, just beautiful. Everything about it is exquisite, and like in that, in that, I'm, I will cry. I'm sorry. So mm. like, I start feeling better. Like, like for the first time, and all this, like, because when your mom's dying of cancer, you, like, yeah. it, you're the whole four, five, or whatever years is just like it goes on and mm. on. And like, for a second, I start feeling better, and he, I remember Ramdas. He looks at me and like Hawaii is behind him. It's this beautiful thing. He looks at me and he goes, ah, with this beaming Ramdas smile. Yeah. And like, that was what we we're talking. That was the rip for me. That was the seed or the ripple or the thing mm. where like, that was it. Cause it, what, what he could have chanted, you know, the Bhagavad Gita or the Ramayana or something or like whatever. But that moment, like seeing what was happening to me and then in that moment expressing it, it was so powerful. But then he points to me and he goes, I want to talk to you in this kind of like, <laughs> this kind of fierce way. And, um, and so then I'm, I'm in his house and he wheels up to me in his wheelchair. And uh, he like points to his head and he's like, we've, 
we've got to get you from here to here and points to his heart. And he's like, we can do that. And, uh, you know, I was just like, holy fuck, this is crazy. I said to him, you know, my mom, I wish my mom were here because she loves you. And he gets this big smile and he goes, she is here. And, but it wasn't like, you know, she's here. And it was like, she's here. But it wasn't like a cheesy clairvoyant thing. It right. was just like, and then I don't really remember what happened. I don't know. He was doing something was happening. And then his cat jumps on his lap and he um he says to me, uh, he gets his big smile. He says, She sleeps on my chest at night. All right. That was the end of my darshan with Ramdas. So I'm t- telling my brother all about this. I'm like, oh my, he told me this and that, and it was incredible. And oh my God, I, it was just, he said mom was there. And then, and then he said, his cat sleeps on his chest at night. And I'm, yeah, I was just mentioning it because it's like, yeah. and, he, and my brother goes, you don't remember, do you? I'm like, what? He's like, that's what mom used to say about her cat, Bill. She would always say, <sighs> Bill sleeps on my chest at night. <laughs> mm. And it was like, you know, it was a, a, a time bomb in the sense that if yeah. in the moment he had like done some telepathic thing or clairvoyant thing or whatever about my, it would have been, I don't know, it would have been embarrassing and like almost flamboyant or showy. Yeah. But the fact that he like did this thing that showed up, you know, much later, that's the thing. That's the miracle or the time bomb or whatever. And obviously I'm fully prepared. A lot of people say their fucking cat sleeps on their chest at night. <laughs> I get it. But to me, it means something. It meant something, yeah. but really that oh, it was the universe confirming the whole friggin' thing. And that's the beauty. That's what Crowley kept saying to look for. It's what Robert Anton Wilson yeah. was doing with the 23s. It's yeah. just, those are, they're not, they're, they're, not random that's the whole point or if they are random they're random in that way that shows it all works yeah all friggin works yes yes that 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 exactly yeah and honestly in this conversation with you i I felt ramdas beaming out of you a few times Uh, (laughs) and of you we both cried whatever (laughs) podcast i cried on a podcast before oh my god that's good that's true team human yeah grown white men can cry uh especially about their mothers you know yeah we're allowed Yeah. yeah well thanks man i should i should let you go i want you, you to make more music that's my favorite well not my favorite part but one of my favorite parts is those little songs really those songs oh the songs <sighs> Are you You're serious? A, I'm going to keep yeah. doing it then. You know what? I was I'm, I was actually on the precipice of being like, I'm just going to start doing like boring intros because the songs take forever. And like, I, I was starting to feel indulgent. Uh, but if you have given you me- You don't have th- to do it every time, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't want, but oh, they're so good because they're Thank surrounding you. and they overdub and overdub and there's a little one of you here and a little one of you there. And it's just, and they're, they're gifts. They're Thanks. gifts. They're all of them in one way or another are saying- don't worry. Be happy. Yeah. Everything's going to be all right. Thank you, know? you. Thank you. Thanks for being on Team Human. Thanks for being alive. But being on Team Human is just is Anytime that. we yeah. can have this kind of – anytime we want to talk, please call or reach yeah. out. You are for an sure. incredible, too. brilliant person. I love you so much. Thank you for this. I love you. I love you truly. She was born upon the earth. 
To a human she gave birth To another human who gave birth To another human who grew up and married a human Who gave birth to another human That human grew up, married a human who gave birth Thanks for being on Team Human. You can find out more about Duncan Trussell by subscribing to his podcast at duncantrussell.com or finding the show Midnight Gospel on Netflix or your favorite torrent site. Team Human was produced by Josh Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. All of the music on today's episode was by Duncan Trussell. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. You can come inside of me Fill me with your seed I'll make a baby Ah, It's time to make my babies Won't you come inside of me We can make a baby You can make a baby just dance the dance of life With your husband Or your wife Or your partner We're making babies He's making babies She's making babies They're making babies All you gotta do is come Or become inside of A miracle will happen then You're gonna make somebody's best friend You're making, you're making, you're making babies We're making babies 